Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we examine the portrait of Jesus, as outlined in the historical references to what we commonly know as Palm Sunday, as found in Psalm 118. Specifically, we will examine both Jesus' own confirmation and the New Testament's greater identification as Jesus as the cornerstone that was rejected, but that God has appointed. If Jesus is the cornerstone and thereby serves as the authoritative structure that gives definition and identification as the building of God's own making, then we must ask the question, are we truly following after this cornerstone's will and purpose? Or have we built upon a false foundation, following the lines of the more easily managed man-made structures of this world? Thanks for joining us today as we continue our study of typology and the portraits of Jesus. Ask my son to come up here. He doesn't know I'm doing this right now, so this is kind of fun, right? right. So one of the things that he's been doing uh, a little bit lately is he's discovered uh, the game Not Touching. Do you guys know that? Not Touching, Not Touching, Not Touching. And occasionally when uh, his mother and I might be just trying to take it easy, you know, when you kick your feet up on the couch, you guys know what those moments look like, right? This, this a buddy of mine here wants to wrestle a little bit, so we start picking like this, picking at me, trying to, trying to get a little rise out of me. Show him what that looks like. <laughs> and I, I say, all right, that's enough. you better, better quit it now. And what's he do? Let's see. <laughs> You're going to get it. Which is exactly what he wants. I call this poking the bear, right? You know? Would you give him a little round of applause? Thank you for coming. As much fun as I would have on that, because he knows if I get up, he is going to get it, right? And, and that's kind of what he wants. It's so much more fun to watch him do it to his mom, though. So much more fun. In, in, in his mind, that is the fun that we get to have. But there is a, uh, there's a very real wrath. There's a very uh, large discrepancy between his strength and his dad's strength, right? And uh, it, it can't last forever. Eventually, enough poking is going to lead to the wrath to come down. And uh, as much as we look at that and have fun with that in our house, it makes me think in a more, much more sobering fashion. The way in which humanity, I think, in some ways, looks with a level of ignorance towards our God. Fearlessness. That's kind of the world that we live in. Very few people fear God. And I I believe if you look at the the trace of our society, what you could identify is that there has been a very slowly but steady eroding of a fear of the Lord. People don't fear the Lord. How much do you think we can get away with? Maybe just a little bit more. Maybe just a little bit worse than it was, and it doesn't seem to make any difference. Uh, Peter, in writing to the church, says that that's actually an accusation that he hears from people. Some will come and scoffingly say, where is this coming that he promised? I I don't see God anywhere. God's God's, God's not going to take care of any of this. He's slow. Peter says, God's not slow in coming. That's not what's happening right now. He's not falling asleep. God knows exactly what's going on right now. He's not slow as you understand slowness. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish. Have you ever played um, 
Pictionary, you know that there's a, a part of that game that's crucial to making sure that it's fun, and that's the timer, right? Anybody know flip the timer? That was always my job, to watch the timer. No, no matter how much you fuss, no matter how much you try, no matter how fast you draw or not, the sand keeps falling and the time is running short. And my fear is that we as a society, as humanity, have failed to take into account just the offense we may be committing by continuing to poke at the bear and not see there be any response. Makes me ask the question, how long can we get away with ignoring God? How long can we as a people get away with dishonoring Jesus? Which even in our country today, I, I, I didn't print it off, but uh, last night just scrolling through my newsfeed, came across an article recounting all of the very many ways in which <laughs> Jesus is not a name that you can proclaim in America. You can proclaim a lot of other names, but uh, you need to leave Jesus in church. You can't bring Jesus anywhere into the government, can't bring Jesus into anywhere into schools. That wasn't always the case. There, there was a time where we as a society recognized we need to honor God in all that we do. But little by little, we've really lost our fear of God. It's not only in America, throughout this world, you, you would be shocked to hear the stories of Christians who are persecuted, maimed, mutilated, and murdered because of their faith in Jesus Christ. How long? How long is this going to go on for? How long is God going to remain patient with us? Uh, there, there's another thing that I, I want to just highlight, and my son's really good at this for the most part. But every now and then, even like I did when I was a young person, when dad tells you, hey, I want you to make sure you go outside and shovel, and you say, while playing the Xbox, okay, dad. <laughs> and then do nothing. How does that make dad feel? I, I want to say that's about the most disrespectful thing I could receive as, as, as a father, is where I give a command to my child. I recognize they heard me, but there ain't nothing. There's, there's no action. They, they don't do anything about it. This, as offensive as that would be to a father who feels disrespected, imagine the king of kings. Imagine the ruler of all rulers, the lord of all lords, if he offers a command to you and I, but we kind of say, meh, don't don't necessarily feel like it. I'll, I'll get to it when I feel like it. Imagine the disrespect that would come to God. We're in a series right now where we're endeavoring to look to the Old Testament and identify these pictures of Jesus that we would understand there, is, there has been an image, a portrait that has been painted that causes us to have a better understanding of who he is. This morning I've, I've entitled this one, Jesus as the Cornerstone. And that's going to be the subject that we're going to really give our attention to. What does it mean that Jesus is the Cornerstone? Where does that show up in the Old Testament? And how does today, how does Palm Sunday and everything that we participated in so far coalesce in this amazing picture of Jesus as the cornerstone. Because if the cornerstone means that it's, it's He who is the one that must be obeyed, it's He who is the one who sets the standard for you and I, ought we not then listen, church? What do you say? Should we listen to God? Shouldn't we obey God? There's a passage of Scripture that for me has been um, uh, humbling and uh, continually I hold it over my own heart where Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say. If you were to call somebody your Lord, it means that you're positionally saying, I'm submitting unto your leadership such that what you say, I do in obedience. 
And that's what they're doing to Jesus. you got people around the time of Jesus carrying on, Hey, Lord, you're my Lord. Time out, Jesus says. Why do you call me that? I feel like you don't understand what that word means. You're, you're using it incorrectly. Because if you call me Lord, you would do what I say. So why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? Our, our goal this morning is to uncover where all of this, all of the, uh, the palm branches, the, the words of celebration to enter his gates with thanksgiving, the, the, the word, this is the day the Lord has made, the concept of Jesus as cornerstone and as Lord, all of that coalesces today. It all comes together here at this first Sunday to begin the Passion Week. And that's what we're going to try to uncover. So to that end, we're going to be found, um, I think, first of all, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 118. Page 956 in the Pew Bibles. And as you turn there, I want to want to set the stage a little bit again as to what it is that we have heard already. As Tom read for you the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now, I, I hope most of you already know the story, right? Jesus is killed in Jerusalem by the will and conniving of the chief priests and the Pharisees. They're, they're the ones who concoct this idea, and it's carried out by the Romans. Now, Jesus would not have any of this happen had he not gone into Jerusalem. So step one that leads to the cross is coming into Jerusalem. And as we heard already, it was out of Mark chapter 11. Uh, Jesus comes in. Remember, he tells the disciples to go ahead, find a colt, untie it. He's welcomed in. And all the people on either side of the processional leading in are proclaiming one word. Do you remember what it is? Hosanna. Hosanna. Yeah, um, anybody speak Hebrew? No, it's a, it's a Hebrew word. Let me translate it for you. Here's what Hosanna means. God save us. That's what it means. So they weren't saying Hosanna. They were saying, God save us. God save us. What they were doing is they were ascribing lordship to Jesus. They were seeing this is the Messiah. That was the declaration that came. So much so, and I don't have time to get into it, but if you read more of the story, you'll see that those religious leaders who were listening, they were like, they pulled Jesus aside afterwards. Did you hear what they were saying about you? Kingdom of David comes through you? I'm, you need to tell these people to quiet that down. You're really walking on thin ice, Jesus. Jesus says, have you not heard that it was ordained that out of the mouths of children, I have ordained praise? How beautiful is that? Out of the mouths of infants and babes, I have ordained my praise? How, how could I keep them from shouting out? If they were silent, guess what would shout out instead? You guys know this, right? The rocks would cry out. So these religious leaders, they understood what it was that the crowd was saying at this time. Hosanna means God save us. The problem with it is, and this is crucial for you to understand the concept of Cornerstone this morning. It was lip service. That's all it was. It was lip service. I, I, I say, uh, go out and, and get the shovel, please. All right, I, I need you to shovel the, shovel the driveway. Okay. What is that? That's a lip service. There ain't, there ain't nothing there. there. There's no action. There's no follow-through. There's no conviction. There's no fear. There's no respect. That's exactly what we see happening. We see the voices of the people, whereas in one week later, do you remember what they're saying? You come to Good Friday service, you'll hear it there. What are they saying? Crucify him. Crucify him. What? In, in the course of a short week, that's, that's, you changed your tune to saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the, the son of David, to crucify him? The only way that that can be true 
as if that was just lip service. That's what we need to examine our own life. Psalm 118, uh, we're actually going to begin in verse 19. Uh, towards the end, the context of Psalm 118 has the psalmist here recognizing he's surrounded by enemies, but in the name of the Lord, he cuts off his enemies. He says, the Lord is my strength. That, that's the whole declaration of Psalm 118. Uh, surrounded by enemies all around and yet full confidence that God will save. That's the context. But here in verse 19 where we pick it up, listen to what the psalmist says. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Uh, let, let, me, um, uh, let me help you with something real quick. Anyone's Bible say capstone? Anyone have that? I would love, love, love it. If you could just take a pen and cross that out. This, this would be a mistranslation in the uh, NIV. They're aware of it. I think it was just a, a sloppy translation as they were looking at another passage in Mark and Matthew. Uh, the word here uh, ought to be translated cornerstone. In Greek, where this word shows up everywhere, it's the word gonos, which means corner, and it's always uh, prefaced with the prefix either kephale, which means head, or arche, which means chief. So the word literally means head of the corner, not capstone, or chief of the corner. It means cornerstone. So at any point as we're going through this, you see the word capstone. That would have been a mistranslation. It ought to be Cornerstone, And in fact, um, if you have an updated Bible, they've updated this. So I don't want you to think this is just me saying, that's what I think. No, they recognize this. They've updated it. So the word here is not capstone. It's cornerstone. I'm going to start again in verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. And it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for his good. His love endures forever. All right. This passage, Psalm 118, is describing everything that we see happening as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. You have it as clear as can be laid out for you here. The exact words in verse 25. Now, your Bible won't say Hosanna, but that's what it means. It says, O Lord, save us. That word in Hebrew is Hosanna. This is the place where that shows up. Hosanna, save us. And if that wasn't enough, look what it says after this. Verse 26, blessed is he who comes In the name of the Lord. That is what the children are shouting to Jesus as he's entering into Jerusalem. Blessed is he who comes. Where do they get that idea from? Psalm 118. Um, They, as the donkey is making its way down, as the colt is making its way down, they're cutting off palm branches and they're laying them down before as this royal procession before their king. Where do they get that idea from? Look up with me back in verse 27. The Lord is God. He's made his light shine upon us. With bows in hand, we join in the festal procession. That's that's what we participated in this morning, right? This is exactly what's going on. The picture here is speaking directly to that triumphal entry moment on Palm Sunday. 
Except there's a key passage in here we need to look at. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. And it is marvelous in our eyes. For the psalmist, the context would be that he was, he was the one who was cast aside. But he now is coming in triumph because God has vindicated him. God has been the one to appoint him. And so that's the proclamation. Whereas at one point I was rejected, now I am the one that God has esteemed. This speaks directly about Jesus. And this is where I want to take us to for our next passage. My my goal now is to unite this Old Testament picture of Jesus as the cornerstone found in the context of Palm Sunday that we would get a better picture of Jesus. So turn with me now to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. In Matthew 21, um, there is so much going on. I'll be here till 1230. I mean, you're going to miss lunch with me, all right, to get through it all. Um, and, uh, and yet what I want to make sure that you understand is I'm not going to be preaching this in, a, in an expository sense, as I normally do. I'm not going to be preaching this in a historical sense. There's a ton going on here in relationship to a message given to the Jews. That's not how we're looking at it. We're examining it in the idea of a picture, again, a portrait of Jesus. So I'm going to be preaching this in a typological sense. All right? just want to make sure you understand. You could study this and you're going to see a lot more going on than just what we can find. But just to set the stage again, if you look at the very beginning of chapter 21, does anyone have a title there in, in the beginning? What's it say? The trial for entry. This is the same passage that Tom read. It's the corresponding passage to Mark 11. But now in Matthew's gospel, once more, Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And so if you were just to skim through it, you'll see even down in verse 9, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, where did they get that again? What Old Testament passage does that? Psalm 118. Psalm Very good. Notice what happens next in the story. Verse 12, Jesus enters the temple area. Now, if Jesus were to come to church, what do you think his face would look like? This is almost exactly what's happening. The place of worship is where Jesus is coming. You think they had the doors open and they were welcoming him, handing him a bulletin, right? You think that's what's going on? Look at his response here. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling. He overturned tables of the money changers and the benches of those. Oh, not sweet baby, Jesus. Jesus, My Jesus won't do that. We, we got to get our picture of Jesus straight because Jesus holds above all things, not your happiness or convenience or mine, but God's holiness and his glory. And here the people of God had come in to diminish. And not glorify God, but to try to get rich themselves. The glory of God will not stand for that. And so Jesus rightly, in righteous anger, comes and flips these tables over. If you've ever seen this depicted in movies, you know exactly what this looks like. Um, If you fast forward a little bit more, you see he curses a fig tree. This here is a picture describing what's going to happen here to the Jewish people. Verse 23, however. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him. Check out their question. Are they coming to learn? Look what they say. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. Who gave you this authority? I'm mentioning that because what I want you to know is right at the very beginning here of what we're going to study, it's predicated on the question of authority. Who, Who gave you the right to do this? When did they promote you as the one to set things straight? 
By whose authority are you doing these things? Jesus uh, returns his answer to them as a question, and so they never get satisfaction, but he moves into these parables, and that's where I want to pick up the story. So in verse 33, I'm going to read through this particular parable, and I want you once again to see how it unites to the context found in Psalm 108. Well, I'm sorry, 118. Verse 33, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, and he put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers, and he went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized the servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time. The tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what do you think he's going to do to the tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. And given to a people who will produce fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. All right. This is our story. I, I want to offer to you some, some key observations here. First and foremost, this cornerstone holds the authority. The cornerstone has the authority. I, 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 want to, I, I made a point to take us all the way back to verse 23 because that was the question that was held at the beginning, right? But by whose authority do you do these things? And here's, I want you to know the nature of a cornerstone. Now, if you have, you've ever worked uh, any construction work or mason work, I have had extensive experience with this on the mission field. I can't tell you how many uh, blocks that I've laid. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And I'm still terrible at it, even after all that work. Uh, This particular picture I'm showing you here is actually our church in the Caribbean. And uh, it has the, the red roof there on the side. And when we started there, we were expanding it into what would eventually become our nursery. Seems like everywhere we go, we just build nurseries on churches. That must be the stage of life we're in. But uh, one of the things that you would do is you would run these lines according to their, the, the corner of the building that would set the stage for every single block. It became the measuring line by which every other block had to align itself with. Now, I want to take a moment and just kind of show you this firsthand what I'm talking about here. So, I wonder if I could get Derek to give me a hand. He might come up here. What we do on the corner of the block is we would put in a nail. It's all right. I know the pastor. You could take that and stretch it back to your seat. You see, if you had the cornerstone, 
Every other stone that will get laid is dependent on this cornerstone. The cornerstone wasn't only depicting the length of the building in order of where it would go. Cornerstone is actually three-dimensional directions such that it shows you the edge has to haul high. Every brick that goes up must follow exactly in line with this one. Every brick that goes this distance must follow exactly along this line defined by the cornerstone and everyone along the width of the building in three dimensions. All of it following the authority of the cornerstone. I think you could just let it a little bit loose here. Everybody get the image? You see what the picture is? Every, every brick that gets laid follows not after some arbitrary guesswork. Believe me, I've had to tear down a wall or two I put up when I've done it wrong. And in very gentle patience, the folks there helped me learn the proper way to do it. The cornerstone has the authority. I want you to check this out. Acts chapter 4. Uh, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. For salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name in heaven given to mankind by, what, by which we may be saved. Think about that for a moment. Where is the authority? Where is the plumb line that describes the standard of salvation? Who is it? Say it loud. Who is it? It's Jesus Christ. He is this image. He is the cornerstone. So the very first thing I want you to make sure that you lock this in. The cornerstone holds the authority. Essentially, I believe that this is, this is Jesus answering their question. By whose authority are you doing this? It's the cornerstone. The cornerstone holds the authority. Secondly, if you want to know who it was, the cornerstone is sent by God. The cornerstone is sent by God. This follows in parallel with Jesus' previous parable. You remember the story, right? The owner uh, lets his farm out to lease to the, um, to the tenants. And the servants come and uh, going to cash in on what the harvest was. They kill the servants. Eventually, who does he send? The last person he sends is his son. Son's not going arbitrarily. Son's not lost on his way. Whoa, look where I ended up. The owner sends the son. In that very same manner, it is God who has sent uh, Jesus. It is God who has sent the cornerstone. I don't know about you, uh, but we don't just allow anybody off the street to come into our house and make the rules, right? We tend to define the rules for our house. Is that same for y'all? You, you won't just let anyone come and say, I think we're going to move this chair over here and paint that wall green. Nope, nobody else, right? Yeah, you, you set these standards. I want you to see how this is seen for the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2. He says, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people, also members of whose household? Of God's household, of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself, as the chief cornerstone, sent by God to determine for the household of God how things are supposed to go. I, I don't know if I'm connecting this with you guys right now, but this, I believe, is one of the greatest problems in our churches today. You, you have pastors who don't even fear God. They fear men more than they fear God. Following the rules of men rather than the rules of God. What do we call that again? If I, if, if I were to say, do you do this? And you say, okay, but you don't do it. What's that called again? Lip yeah, lip service is all that is. 
I want you to remember the cornerstone is not an arbitrary stone. It was sent and appointed by God to be that which defines how things are supposed to go in the house. Number three, the cornerstone is rejected by men. The cornerstone is rejected by men. First Peter chapter 2, he says these words, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also are like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you are a living stone if, in fact, you are following the living stone. But what have men done with the living stone? They've rejected it. In, in, in our house, I have a little girl who hates broccoli. Not going to eat broccoli. Now, is broccoli good for you? Yeah. Now, I see some of you going like, Yes. <laughs> Any sort of vegetable, not fired up about it, right? It, it, if you eat it, though, it, it would make you healthy. This is what you want. This is what your body's asking for. It, this is good for you, but what, what do people usually do with things that are good for them? Yeah, we reject them. Do you know this is exactly what many people do with Jesus? Jesus is the... It's, you don't need a paycheck. You don't need a promotion. You don't need to have your best life now. You don't need to have all those needs met. You know what you need? You need Jesus in your life. This life will end at one point. You, you can have all the payments and promotions in this world, but everything you find under this sun will one day end, and then what will you have? You need Jesus. You need to seek first His kingdom and seek first His righteousness, and everything else you need will be taken care of. He will take care of everything else that you need. But what have people done with Jesus? They reject Him. And this is the same thing they do. So you have to picture again the construction site. Uh, it wouldn't have been bricks, it would have been stones, and so they would have been fumbling through the pile looking for the right one, and there it is. There's the cornerstone, but maybe that's too heavy, or maybe it's too awkward, or maybe it's going to shape the building in a way that they really are not comfortable with. I prefer it to look the way I want it to look. And so instead of taking that cornerstone, what do they do with it? They reject it, and they go to something else. This is what has happened, and this is the, the danger of what we would face today, and many people in our world do, with Jesus. And my fear is, I don't know how much longer we can get away with that type of behavior. This, this poking at the bear of saying, yeah, I see you, I don't need you, though. Number four, the cornerstone's integrity is not defined by men. The cornerstone's integrity is not defined by men. I want to draw you back to the text once more. Verse 42 says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone... The Lord has done this. Now, beautiful fashion here with the idea, again, of a construction site would be that the owner, like the contractor of this, instead of just dealing with the workers who don't want to deal, deal with it, the Lord would show up and he'd be like, this one, fellas. I don't know why you're over there fooling with those rocks. This is the right one right here. This is the one that you need to take. The Lord is the one who defines what the cornerstone should look like. Here in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, by the grace that God has given me, I lay a foundation. This is Paul speaking. I preach the gospel of the church in Corinth as a wise builder and someone else is building on it, which is, is what happens. The foundation of the gospel is Jesus Christ alone. He says, but each one of you should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid. And what is that foundation? He's the cornerstone. He is the foundation that defines the rest of the building, where everything else is meant to go. And that is not determined by men. It's determined by God. The cornerstone's integrity 
comes according to God's definition. Number six, the cornerstone's positioning by God. It's amazing. Boy, I would like to spend a lot of time on this one. First Peter chapter two, he says, for a scripture says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Uh, the, the response of the builders, when they see this happen, there the owner comes, the Lord comes, he says, this is the one. He sets it in place and they say, wow, look at that. It's incredible. That, that, that's exactly what we were looking for. I don't know how we missed it. We rejected it because we didn't see it properly. The word here for amazement uh, literally means marvelous. It literally means beautiful. It means I'm astonished. I'm in wonder when I examine this cornerstone. The reason why I'd like to spend a lot more time on this is because I think this is echoed in what we hear at Palm Sunday from the crowds. Do you remember what they're saying? Here comes the cornerstone and what are they saying? Amazed, marvel, wonderful, beautiful. But what have we already seen? What is that from there? It's just lip service. This, this is true, folks. The cornerstone's positioning by God, it's amazing. I don't know if you see it that way, though. And I don't, I don't know if we recognize the cornerstone. Jesus, as the one who has authority, as the one who is really governed with the ability to decide what should we do and what shouldn't we do. He is the one given the right to determine that. Lastly, number six, the cornerstone is immovable. It will crush its opposition. I'll take you back again to the text in verse 44. He who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. This is actually falling after a rabbinical teaching about a, a stone and a pot. You got some pots up here, right? If I were to take a big heavy stone, this is what they say. Uh, the pot on whom the stone falls, woe to the pot. Because what's going to happen? Okay, crush it, right? But then they say, but the, I'm going to break that one. <laughs> Let's say I put the stone down here. And now I drop the pot on the stone. Woe to the... It's still the pot! Is, you see, that's the picture. That's what Jesus means when he says this. It's, that, it's, it's kind of a Hebrew teaching, an idiomatic way of saying, um, if you go up against God, woe on you. But if God goes up against you, woe on you. <laughs> And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here because the cornerstone is immovable. Uh, the cornerstone never gets changed. You can, you can tear down the rest of the house. The one piece that never changes is the cornerstone. Again, in 1 Peter 2, the next verse is, Now to you who believe this stone is precious, to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. So what do we do with this? What do we do with these truths? I want to leave you with three conclusions that I I hope the Spirit will weave into your life, into a life of obedience. Number one is this. Failure to follow the cornerstone will result in failure to produce fruit. The whole illustration with the vineyard was that when God sends the servants and his son, it's in order to collect what? The fruit. I want you to see Jesus' admonition at the end. Verse 43, look what he says. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce fruit. But you will never produce fruit. 
in your life unless you're following the cornerstone. I can't shoot any straighter with you than that. You, you want to see radical transformation in your life? You want to see freedom from sin? You want to see the ability to choose joy? Who do you have to follow? Jesus, the cornerstone. You will never see this fruit in your life if you're trying to do it in any other fashion. Here, Jesus gives it in a little different way in John's gospel. He says this in John 15. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears new fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be, get, uh, be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Failure to follow the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, and what he has laid forth. It will result in your failure to produce any fruit. Number two, failure to follow the cornerstone will result in a forfeit of God's blessing. God will give it to somebody else. You're not interested? There'll be others who are. This speaks specifically to the historical reality of God moving his kingdom now to all nations and taking the light out of Israel. It's a very sorrowful thing. Something that we continue to wait and hope for for the return of the king, that Israel's hearts would be softened and they would return back to their God. But I want to show you where this again in verse 43. He says, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. And it will be given to somebody else. You will forfeit the blessing because you're not following after God. Again in John 15, the next verse. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. You, you forfeited it apart from me. You, you, nothing is what you will produce. There will be no blessing in your life. If you were to leave Jesus and leave the cornerstone. Number three, finally, failure to follow the cornerstone will result in judgment and wrath. Now, I've been kind of preachy up to this point. I want to I get a little, a little bit more somber at this point. Uh, this passage in verse 44, he who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, but on whom it falls will be crushed. It follows directly in line, I want you to remember this, with what the teachers already said. Do you remember the end of the story? Jesus tells the whole story, and then he's like, therefore, what do you think the owner's going to do when he comes back? And do you remember what they said? Look with me again if you forgot verse 41. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants. I can't sugarcoat this for you. I would be failing at my job as a minister of God's word not to let you know if you follow anyone else, and our culture loves to do this today, you will have stored up for you wrath and judgment. Again, in John 15, the next verse, if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Failure to follow the cornerstone will result in a failure to produce fruit. It will result in the forfeit of God's blessing. And it will result in judgment and wrath. So, so what do we do with this? My question for you is, are you lining up? And Derek, could you pull that tight for me once more? Are you lining up with God's will or man's will? There's two ways that I want you to just do your best to hear me out right now. Just because it's accepted by men in our world today doesn't mean it's moral. 
Just because it's legal in your state or in your country does not mean God smiles upon it. You know, the Jewish authorities at that time, they amassed for themselves all kinds of rules. Human rules. You can only do this on a certain day. When you worship, you've got to do this fancy washing beforehand. If you don't want to pay money to help your parents, you can actually give time and service to God, and that will count for you. They had all these rules that they made. And Jesus comes breaking their rules. And he says, you've nullified the word of God for human tradition. But, but we've decided it's okay. Hear me now. Just because man says it's okay does not mean God smiles upon it. Just because it's legal in our world today doesn't mean that you and I have the freedom to do it. You have, you have set your bricks upon not God's rule, not upon his word, but upon man's word. This is, this is as straight as I can shoot with you to ask you the question, are you lining up with God's will or are you lining up with man's will? Secondly, I want you to hear the second half too. Just because it's rejected today in our world or being labeled as being intolerant by our world doesn't mean it's wrong. In fact, Jesus routinely was asked by uh, the disciples, hey, didn't you know what you said offended them? Just because it offends people in our world doesn't mean it's wrong. Now, I'm not asking you to go out there and just be jerks to people. (laughs) We need to share the love of God and be willing to suffer with those who are in sin away from God's will. But don't fear men. Don't leave your mouth shut because you're afraid of men. Fear God instead. You know, that was the problem with the, with the religious leaders. I, I'll take you to it again just to show you here at the end. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they heard this. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they don't. Why? Because they were afraid of who? They, they were afraid of the people. They would much rather be aligned with man's way of doing things than with God's way of doing things. Now, they, the, the reverse is true because I'm not advocating that they killed Jesus. But don't fear men like they were afraid of men. You need to fear God. You and I need to be very cautious that we're not simply offering him lip service. So my second question is, is your praising of Jesus genuine? Just because the guitar is playing, just because we're clapping, what's going on in your heart? Is it genuine? Or do you leave this place and then once more align yourself with man's will? That's fake. That's lip service. That's exactly what was happening 2,000 years ago on Palm Sunday. Is he your cornerstone? Is it genuine from him? I want to I leave you with this final thought. Again, I'll give you the rest of it. Thank you. Dear. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And you don't do what I say. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When a flood came and the torrent struck that house, it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and doesn't put them into practice is like a man who builds a house on the ground without any foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, collapsed into destruction was complete. Are you lining up with God's will or man's will? You, you have to answer this question. 